Good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started. We will discuss Romans 10, 11 through 21. I have to verse 17 here on the board, so you'll have to continue in your Bible today. I didn't want to get down on my knees and write any further. But today's a large section. We'll be kind of speeding through this. So let's get started in a word of prayer, and we'll jump into today's text. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. Lord, we all pray together that you would bless our congregation here at Community Bible Church. We pray for our leaders, the pastors, and the elders, everyone serving. We thank you, Lord, for the all the people serving the children this morning, taking care of children so we can gather here together and as adults and look into your word together and know how to be better disciples, to know what your word says, and so that we may know how to teach our children and to share the gospel with others outside of our own family. Lord, I pray that you would build us up in the knowledge of the truth this morning and that we would love and esteem your son Jesus Christ more and more that we would treasure him above every earthly possession above any family member above a beloved spouse that Jesus would be most precious in the center of our heart and thinking and in our actions God help us to be a holy people keep us from sin don't take our light away let us be a, a lighthouse of your truth here in Pier, Fort Pier and in the surrounding area. Lord, let us have a, a heart and a mind that takes sin seriously, that we aren't just trivial about sin, and that we aren't trivial and, and walk and step upon grace as if it's no big deal. So help us, Lord, to have a balance between grace and truth and to to know how to walk that line in accordance with your, your truth here that we have in the Bible. Lord, build us up this morning for your honor, for your name, for your glory. Amen. We'll begin by reading Romans 10, 11 through 21. Please follow along with me. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. 
But I say to you, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. They are without excuse. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says this, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says this, I was found by those who did not seek for me, and I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Okay, so this morning... Back to teaching mode here. It's going to be good. No more sermon-like. Okay, so the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So the idea of whoever, and so we'll take 11 through 13 here together and unwrap the, the meaning. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction. And now he tells about who the whoever is in Paul's mind. Who is the whoever? Who is the whoever in this sentence? What does Paul define the whoever to be? The Jews and the Greeks. The Jews and the Greeks. So for the Jewish person in general, while they should have seen it in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament writes about God having compassion and one day opening up salvation to the nations, and the arm of salvation of the Lord is going to go out, and we see the prophet Jonah, and we see God save people through different men's lives in the Old Testament at different times. Isaiah is one who talks a lot about it, and Paul quotes Isaiah a lot in, in the scriptures we just read. <clears throat> so the whoever, meaning all in the singular, in the singular it's, it is focusing on an individual here, I believe. So whoever means anyone or every one, meaning a single, a singular one. But that singular one comes from two groups of people, either the Jewish people or the Greek people. And the person that um, is receiving the riches of the Lord, talking about salvation and spiritual blessing, and even a physical future promise of the inheritance, the new heaven and the new earth, a kingdom, and to the Jewish person, to the Israelite, being delivered from Egypt was being delivered into a land, being delivered into your own possession. And so that was a lot of what was on their mind. Now the same is ultimately... A lot of the Old Testament figure and types is talking about how everybody, Jew and Greek, has to be delivered from your true captor, which is sin and Satan. The true deliverance is, is a spiritual deliverance, not simply a physical one, but an eternal deliverance, which is a deliverance from sin, a deliverance from sin. And the, the Jews were, were, the majority of the Jews at this time, the majority of the Israelites were missing this. As you learn in verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we see that they had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So they were believing the wrong things. It's not that they didn't have the information, they understood the information wrongly. And so that leads not to salvation. You can have, you can have the right, you can be reading the right Bible. 
You can be reading the right scriptures, and you can remain essentially blue in your face and never be changed by the truth that you're reading. And so reading the scriptures doesn't mean that you're saved. Memorizing the Bible doesn't mean you're going to get saved. And so that, that's a part of the idea here. For the Jews, this idea of whoever, whoever, really struggled at this time. Last week, I believe I mentioned the term racism. Uh, there, there was a sense of racism. They believed that they were a superior people at this time. Uh, not everyone believed that. You know, obviously Jesus didn't believe that for his disciples. And ultimately, God's going to bring Gentiles into the church during the church age and put them on equal footing with Israelite people, inheriting the riches and the blessing of God. Okay, so whoever believes is coming from two groups of people. So Jew or Greek is being offered to the Lord at this time. <clears throat> Salvation is being offered to the Jew or Greek. And so for the Jew, they would really struggle with this reality, this word right here, distinction. Okay, they believe that there was a strong distinction between themselves and everyone else on the planet. That they were somehow special. How many of you remember when I read that Deuteronomy passage? Deuteronomy 9. Where God says, you're not special. You're not special. You're no different, essentially. You are special because I chose you. I didn't choose you because you're special. <clears throat> so most people get that backwards. And they assume that God is choosing them because there's some kind of inherent worth or value within themselves. And Deuteronomy says at the end, I didn't choose you because you were numerous, which is what some people would think was blessing, having lots of kids, having wealth. I didn't choose you because you were more numerous. You're actually the fewest pe people. God could have chose a different people if that was his plan. was like, oh, I want the greatest, strongest nation at this time. I'm going to choose them. That's what you would think, right? That's what we would choose. If you're going to be the president of a new country, you'd be like, who's got the best military? Who's the wisest? Who's the best culture, right? We'd go after the strongest to try. The Lord doesn't need human help. The Lord is strong. And the Lord can take a people who are nothing, protect them, and develop them and grow them. So the Jews struggle with the reality that now there is no distinction between a Jewish person and a Greek person receiving the promise of God and the blessing and, and can receive abounding riches in the Lord. Abounding riches in the Lord. And it's for everyone who believes. Anybody, everybody, whoever, any, any person that believes in the Lord is going to receive the riches of the Lord and the Lord himself. You will not be disappointed. An idea here can be put to shame. To be, to be a loser. To have lost. On the end day when Christ Jesus returns, anyone who is believing in him it's not going to be disappointed. There is going to be abundant riches for you in Christ for eternity. For eternity. And it's for all of those, it's for all who, Paul's repeating himself, the whoever, the anybody, the everyone, 
has to do something. They have to call. They have to believe. They have to call on Him. So we see believe in Him. Then we see call on Him. And then we have again, call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So salvation here is the end result. This is what's being described as great riches in the Lord, is this salvation. And this is a spiritual salvation which will result also in a physical salvation. And we learn about that in Romans 8, that this body of sin will one day be done away with. Right? Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Who is looking forward to, to not struggling with your sin, sinly flesh anymore? Right? All right, Lisa, you're saved for sure. <laughs> okay, so, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this idea of, of calling, of believing, there's content to it, right? Is this simply, you can just go up to anybody and say, who doesn't have any information about Jesus, say, hey, believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. silence <laughs> when we when we teach children and when we teach adults and when we evangelize there needs to be a level of robust content because I, I'm telling you look at what Paul said back in 10 verses 1 and 2 look there real quick look at verse 2 I testify about them talking about Israelites and these we're talking about it. He's specifically talking about adults here who've got the law. They've got lots of information. Okay? They have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. So they, they had information, but they weren't believing in accordance properly. They were ignorant of what the knowledge actually was supposed to lead them to. And the thing with the gospel is, is it's not simply just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. With a robust understanding is there's an immediate dealing with sin. When Jesus comes to people in the Gospels, when the Apostles come, they start talking about sin. Always. They start pointing out sin to people. And so when you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a robust content here. Have we learned about anything about the Gospel up to this point where Paul's saying, calling on the name of the Lord and believe in Him? Romans 1 through pretty in detail, right? It's pretty descriptive, this understanding. Now, there's a lot of information in Romans 1 through 10, right? There's a lot of information there. But they have to believe and understand everything about original sin? Perhaps not. Uh, but they need to understand Romans 1 through 3 very well. Romans 1 all the way to 319 is 118 to 319 almost three chapters it's all about how everybody in the world Jews and Greeks are all sinful see how Paul started out the message of the gospel two and a half chapters are, are pointing out people's sin pointing out how you need a savior pointing out how nobody understands God nobody seeks for God nobody loves God and that's how Paul summarizes in three 
uh, 10 through 19. And that the law came to show people that they're accountable to God and they have no excuse. And then in Romans 3, 20 through 26, we have the glorious imagery of the cross of Jesus Christ and believing on Him and the forgiveness of sins and an atonement for sin that Jesus did. He propitiated the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God that's against you and your sinfulness. And Paul talks about in other letters how Jesus Christ received our sin and we received His righteousness and His life. And so there was an exchange. And so when you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some content to it. There's an understanding of sin. And there's a calling out to the Lord for salvation. The men who, who called out to the Lord for salvation, the tax, the, uh, the tax collector in the temple, right? He was beating his breast, ashamed of his sin, asking God to be gracious to him. There was content behind his belief in the Lord and his request. Verse 14 through 15 here. <clears throat> Generally, this is used as a what kind of a message? Anybody? An evangelistic message, right? So this is the method in which people get saved. Most people say, yeah, that's how you got to get saved, right? How do you get saved? 14 through 15. And 11. Right, and so Paul is going to present the logic behind here the steps that have to happen for somebody to actually call on the Lord. The things that I just described, somebody explaining maybe Romans or reading through the gospel with somebody. Guys, it doesn't, if you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Paul Washer, Pastor Paul Washer as an example here. He likes to call out people in the Southern Baptist Convention because they will, will call people forward, and I, I believe this is so easy and so true. We want, a, we want a quick and easy salvation, right? We want to declare people saved so quick and so easy. It's no big deal. You know, we don't even care about regeneration anymore. We don't care about seeing works. We don't care about warning them about assurance of the faith, giving them a robust understanding about some things, wanting to see them deeply convicted over sin, wanting to see them genuinely like, no, I want to cling to Jesus, you know, and they're serious about it. Not just like, if I have to. <laughs> if your kid is saying, if I have to, you need to keep praying. Okay? <laughs> or your spouse or anybody else. What happens to a Christian in Romans 6, it's, it's in Romans 5, the love of God is poured out in their heart. And they run to Jesus. And they want Him. They desire Him. It's, it's just the reality of being saved and regenerated. And so here's the logical steps of how people are going to call on the name of the Lord, how people are going to believe in Him. How will they call on Him if they have not believed? Well, what do they have to believe, Paul? Right? would be another question. What do they have to believe? Is it just that Jesus' name is Lord or that that's His title or something? Well, how will they believe in Him speaking of Christ, whom they have not heard or heard about. How will they hear without somebody telling them, a preacher, somebody sharing the truth? How will they preach unless they are sent? And then a quote from the scriptures that this is exactly how people get saved. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
So how do people get saved? <coughs> Paul is saying salvation has always been by faith, once again, showing another way or from other passages of scriptures that it's by hearing a message about God's salvation and believing in it. There is a simplicity. It's that simple. And most of the Israelites at this time still believed in a works righteousness-based system rather than a faith-based system that resulted in works of obedience for God to give him glory, not to gain salvation. Not to gain salvation. We are working for God because he is worthy of us to pour out our lives as a living sacrifice. And God the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the desire to do so. And that's just what we start doing. That's just the way it is. And so verse 16, Paul gets into where we're going next. And that's, however, so here's the message of salvation. Here's the logical sequence and the mechanics behind somebody getting saved, preaching and hearing the good news and responding to it. Here we see that not all, I believe this also includes Jews and Greeks, but specifically Paul is trying to emphasize the Israelites' disbelief. Plenty of the Gentiles disbelieve also the preaching of the gospel. However, the, Paul is addressing in this whole chapters 9 through 11 as a whole, how in general, why so many of the Israelites are not believing. Why the majority of them are not coming to salvation through the Savior. And we'll see that here in chapter 11, 1 through 8, coming up again. Paul gives a reason why. And that theological truth is the same for why Gentiles don't believe. And we can bring that all the way back to Romans 1 through 3.19 about why people don't believe. So, not everyone heeds. And this, this carries the idea of obedience. Okay, you actually, the gospel is a command. It's not a request. It can sent, be sent out as a request, but the people have to respond to this command, which is repent and believe. Call on the Lord and you shall be saved. They did not all obey this command to repent and believe, which is the good news. There's salvation for those who call on the Lord and who believe in Him. You will not be disappointed. There is great riches for you in Jesus Christ, an inheritance of blessing, Him, Himself, God, glory. And so he quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah says this, Lord, who has believed our report? How many of you remember the commission of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, after his vision of God? God says, go, go and preach to the people this message. And, he, and then he says, how long, Lord? How long do I preach to the people, to the Israelite people? He says, until it's a waste place, until I destroy the whole place and send everybody out. You just keep preaching. And so it, he's preaching under hard circumstances. He's preaching underneath uh, the physical discipline of God. God um, punishing the Israelites for their many sins. <clears throat> that ought to cause everybody in the church to fear because um, we're no different. We're no, we're no different than the chosen people of God. And, and you can see this in Acts that judgment will come to the household of God if there's sin in the household of God. There's going to be discipline. There's going to be discipline. So not everyone believed. Isaiah says, who has actually believed a report as a question? 
but Paul returns to the reality that so faith comes from, here's some of the mechanics behind it, here's how it actually happens. Faith comes from hearing. Does faith come from natural revelation? From looking at the stars? Does it come to the Amazonian Amazonian person? Can, can they have faith in, in, in this God? Do they have enough content? Do they have enough information to be saved? No, right? Okay, there is a group of people that call themselves Christians that believe that, that are now espousing and teaching that natural revelation, looking at the cosmos, looking at nature, looking at animals, that that information, if somebody kind of says there must be a God, that that, that kind of turning of their heart saying there is a God, I don't know who he is, I don't know anything about him, but somebody believes that there's a creator of all this stuff is saved. God's going to save them. Is that true? Right. Then God wouldn't have needed to go to the Greeks who had Zeus and everybody else. Right? Granted, many of the sophisticated Romans and Greeks at this time were stopping believing in the gods, but they kept the system up for the people. So they did not all heed the good news. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of So we have further revelation here that everyone must accept. And that's revelation about the Messiah. In the Old Testament, we had a faith in God and the coming of the Messiah. Paul talks about that in Romans 4. And Jesus talks about how Abraham saw his day and was glad in the Gospels. Jesus says Abraham saw the Messiah's day way back, and he was glad about it. He looked forward to God's promise and the promise of the Messiah. In the New Testament, everyone is brought further revelation that they're supposed to embrace to be saved. To be saved. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 18, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now this is a quote from the Psalms and it's talking about natural revelation. And David's talking about natural revelation. <clears throat> Natural revelation is enough to condemn everybody. It's not enough to save people according to God's scriptures. You have to have other content. Natural revelation, back in Romans 1, 18 through 3:19, Paul specifically shows that natural revelation doesn't save anybody. Verse 19. So you're without excuse in verse 18. Every, nobody has an excuse, whether you're a Jew or Gentile. Verse 19 says, But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says this. And so he's talking about how Israel doesn't know about, why don't they know about this salvation that's supposed to be going to the Gentiles? I will make you, Israelites, jealous by that which is not a nation. They're not of your nation. I know it's really, it's probably really hard to understand this, but... There is a, a very, very strong national identity. How many of you are, are serious patriots? All right. I don't like the patriots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many of you have, are like, I'm all about the American flag? You don't have to answer this because I'll come after you. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> Anyway, there was str- get what I'm saying here. There's such a strong national zeal 
that there's no room in their hearts for anybody else. You know, if you could do good to another nation and help them out, there was not that attitude in the Jewish nation. They were happy to watch people die in their sins in general. And you see that come forth as a true reality in the prophet Jonah. We're totally content with people in their sin, and we want to have nothing to do with them. And we shake the dust off our robes when we leave their places after we've traded with them. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. So God plans to make the Israelites jealous, and he plans to make them angry, just as he made uh, Jonah jealous and Jonah angry, which is a, a type for representing generally the, the national attitude toward others. Isaiah is very bold, and he says this, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I became manifest to those who did not ask me. We'll learn more about the theological truth behind this in, in uh, chapter 11. But God is saying that I am, I am coming to people who aren't even seeking for me or asking for me, and I'm revealing myself to them, and I'm making you guys jealous and angry. And so this is really difficult. This is a judgment on God, and we're going to learn about this more in chapter 11. There is a hardening on the people of Israel. But here, here, here's what's amazing. The gospel went out to Europe, North Africa, out toward Asia, in early church history. And look at the nations today. Look at, there, there is great blessing that has come to the world, has been developed, because God has chosen to bless the people of God in various forms and ways. And he's also showing common grace to lots of other people. But there's been so much blessing upon the world because of the going forth of the gospel. It's just the way it is. There, there's been a, a lot of temporal, temporary blessing that's a result of spiritual blessing that's been outpoured in so many people's lives. There's also a lot of suffering and persecution that can come with that. So it's not just one way or the other, so you guys understand that. There's a lot of suffering in dark days. There might even be dark decades and dark centuries. But there's also great blessing with the, with the Reformation and the Enlightenment, man, 500 years, the world's come a long way. <clears throat> and and I, I believe that the morality and the blessing is supposed to mean to that when the Israelite people are back in their nation today, they see other nations being blessed. And all these Christians, Ted and Cheryl, you guys went to Israel, they go back there. And there's still people who, who hold to either atheism or, or a sense of national identity. But, man, these people are still like, isn't there still a sense of you're not one of us? And we're not like you and you're not like <coughs> us. And there's a distinction. There's a distinction and a drawing line between me and you. I'm a true Jew. You're on the outside. And there's a strong border mentality in the Jewish nation today. And there's a sense in which that's true because so many Arabs and Muslims are trying to kill them constantly too. But even when, when Christians want to travel back there and say, you know, we believe in Rabbi Jesus, who is one of you, they're still like, 
there's still animosity toward Jesus Christ. And there's not a believing in Him, and there's not a calling on Him, and there's still a rejection of Him and a rejection of those who come with that identity. There's still a rejection there. There's still a hatred. But as for Israel, God says this, all the day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. And so God's saying, you know what? I'm going to Gentiles who don't even know about me, and you guys are disobedient and obstinate in general. And so the majority of the church to this day is predominantly Gentile. It's predominantly Gentile. We have 10 minutes. Any questions? Anybody want to talk more about any specifics in this passage? Jacob? Yes. So, why do the Jews serve if there is a distinction? I mean, what in the Old Testament led them to that conclusion? A number, I would, I would say... A number of the ceremonial laws that God put in place to cut them off from the nations in the sense of not enjoining themselves to other nations, to, to be like them in the sense of serving their gods, and that I believe got twisted out of proportion because actually in the law it says you're supposed to be a light to the nations in a positive way. And uh, there's also always, always this, so there is, just, just like getting wrapped up on works righteousness. Well, why did they stumble into that? Very clearly we see that the Abraham had faith and that was credited to him as righteousness. And still to this day, they won't accept that as, well, yeah, you have faith, but it's really the works. Why is there still that cloud in the mind over the truth of, the, of which is primary, of which is first? A sim there's a similar... There's a cloud. Uh, to put it really simply, read 11.8. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Under his sovereignty, correct? Yes, yes. He told them to live their lives separate from the other nations, to not intermarry, to not eat them. And, so, and that was all under his sovereignty. And today... He's hardened the heart of the Israelite until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. And I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But um, I just feel that we're doing a bit of a disservice uh, in our presentation if we don't take the full counsel of God and, and look at the reasons of why we are where we are. Because it's so easy to cross a line and suddenly it kind of starts to sound anti-Semitic. Um, and so... Sure. I, I am not anti-Semitic, just so you know. I, I am as anti-Semitic as God is, and I'm as anti-Gentile as God is. I don't deserve God's mercy or grace. And no Jew deserves God's mercy or grace. And so in that sense, I can sound anti-human being and if I'm just talking about the Israelites, I'll sound anti-Semitic. And if I'm preaching this to the Gentiles, I'll sound anti-human. You know, other people maybe don't know the distinction between Jew and Gentile because they don't know the history of the Bible and what the Bible 
talks about. I, I am reading Jewish men's words right now. And I'm believing in Jesus Christ, who was the promised seed who came through Jewish people. But we have to understand the way God is bringing fuller revelation now with the New Testament and, and showing more a robust idea that the Jews erred in going too far with their thinking based on some of the scriptures that they had that sounded extreme. But then you had other scriptures that talked about God going to the Gentiles. And they esteemed Isaiah, and he talked about God saving Gentiles. Jonah was sent to, to Nineveh. You know, and the Assyrians and the Syrians were killing and guerrilla raiding northern Israel at this time when Jonah was sent to them to, to preach repentance. God was getting Israelites who were being invaded and punished by God for various sins to go to people and offer them a message of salvation at the same time because they were unwilling to go because they had such hard-hearted hearts toward those who were attacking them. There, there's a lot... There's, there's a lot of theological stuff going on. Um, it would take a long time. And yes, Carrie, you're right. You have to be careful. You have to give a robust story. There's no way I could do it in one hour. It would take 10, 15 years probably to go through the Old Testament with you guys and the New. Probably longer because John MacArthur's still going. He's done it for 50. <laughs> okay. Can I ask a different, can I turn, I mean, yes. a different question? So when you, uh, the part of your lesson when you were talking about, you know, <coughs> believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he Can you um, tie that in with, um, because I guess I, I, I know that we have to rightly define Jesus. There are opportunities to witness to people and we say that to them, I do, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And, and that's the point. And I know it's going to come for them, and whether I have a chance to be with them or not, they're going to come up against aspects of Jesus that they're going to offend them or cause them to repent. And so, I don't know. I, I guess sometimes I feel like, how, how detailed are we supposed to get in, in telling someone that Jesus Christ is the same? I mean, and I... That's kind of a question. So, that, like, to, to the, the seeds, that seed that falls upon the ground, I mean, how should we inspect that? And a lot of times there's not that relationship when you're with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and just like from, I'll use this example, like from the missionary field, somebody can go there and be, they'll use the term plowing for a long time, planting seeds or removing stones or something like that from the field for harvest, meaning salvation. Uh, God can use people to start talking about sin. Say you only get five minutes with somebody at Dairy Queen in Rapid City someday, and you're like, you know what? I've got the courage somehow today to talk to this person about Jesus a little bit, or the things about Jesus. And you start with talking about how wonderful and good Jesus is. Okay, but then they're, they're kind of like shutting down a little bit and whatever like that. Now, say their life, they go through some things, and the Holy Spirit is... It starts convicting them that something about this guy is true. They meet another person someday, or they're like, I'm going to church. Something's wrong, something's not right, I'm going to church. And they hear, 
they hear a robust presentation or a dealing with sin or they see somebody in the character and scriptures talking about sin, the woman caught in adultery, and that person you're sharing with is in an adultery relationship, and you had no idea. And then they're convicted over the sin that they see in John chapter 4 from the hearing in the church and then their salvation. So you might play bits and pieces in a role, and God, you know, we can't see everything that's being orchestrated in the spiritual realm and that's being done in the heart and stuff like that. I get that. I get that. But I, I guess I'm inclined to believe that the minute a person repents or turns to Jesus Christ and, and agrees with what they're hearing about Jesus Christ, agrees with that and calls on the name of the Lord, even though they may only know, I mean, in this whole life, I may only know a fraction of what another might know in this life. Yes. But to the extent that I'm hearing, I repent, turn to Jesus Christ. I think that's what that scripture means. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in that moment, right then. And that as they then mature and grow, the truth of that conversion gets, becomes evident, whether they try to create Jesus in what they want him to be, or whether they see Jesus as he is and continue to repent. Yes. But There's a robust understanding of Jesus Christ that does grow with your Christian walk and stuff like that. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 1 real quick for one minute. Go on. And we could go to other passages to look at this. Uh, look at the same the same idea or concept. Verse 9, For they themselves report to us what kind of a reception we had with you, meaning the, the preachers who come with the gospel, and how you, Thessalonians, turned to God from idols, repentance, to serve a living and true God. And so there was content behind that living and true God in which they turned to. They turned away from idols and from sin and whatever it may be, and they were waiting now for his son, Jesus Christ, to come from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. There's a recognition that there's wrath to come. There's a recognition that repentance means I have to get away from the judgment and that God is angry with me and there is wrath coming and that there's a final day that Jesus is coming. And now my hope is that final day because I believe that God has truly forgiven me of sin in Jesus Christ. I've repented and turned away from a life of sin. And immediately if you, if you look in Acts, Paul is, we're not... We can't just give people a five-minute message and then go to Denny's. Okay, this is what Paul Washer talks about with the SBC. Getting back to my analogy here. Yeah, I'm in the middle. Of people the stay up to the middle of the night to hear more about holiness and what they're supposed to do to serve this God. We can we can barely get people to to uh, fine. I'll hate sin if you really want me to. Yeah, you know, yeah, there is a reception of God and the things of God, and there is a hunger and a thirsting for. Righteousness. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes are not something... They are, in a sense, something that does grow and develop, but there is also a basic infancy in all of those attributes that you should see in a regenerated heart. And, they, and these people, 
they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, was raised from the dead. I mean, that was the basic tenet, and they went on from there. But at that point, they were right? Yes, absolutely. But there's a, there's, there is a robust understanding of sin and a grievance over sin. And I believe that that's actually something that we're afraid to really deal with with people. We want to just be like, believe in Jesus, because then we see the next word is saved. But we, we want to ignore the first word, which is repentance and a recognition of wrath. And that people are truly convicted over that too. And that they understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God, but he's also the lion that's coming to destroy they have to embrace both sides of Jesus to have the true gospel. They have to understand why he was crucified. Yes. Yes. Thank you all. Amen. Dismissed. Sorry, probably. Oh no.